make sure you have done your research before you take a punt. Work out your percentages, work out your chances of success uh, and, and play, play to those odds, you know. And I went down the next day and the only marks were two burn marks where his feet were and a burn mark where the ball was rolling towards the hole. Hi, my name is John O'Driscoll and you are very welcome to the Blueprint Podcast. Ask yourself one question. Have you a blueprint for success? Are you doing all you can do to get where you want to be? Join me and my guests each week as we discuss their blueprint for success. This week's guest is Andy McMahon, Director of Golf Operations at Adair Manor, which recently held the JP McMahon as Pro-Am and in 2027 will hold the Ryder Cup. I'm delighted to welcome Andy as a guest to the show. I'm sure we'll have a very interesting chat. Andy, thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me, John. Listeners will notice that that's not a Limerick accent. Can you give me a small bit of um, background as to how you came to become Director of Golf at Adair Manor? Yeah, well, it's uh, it's been a, it's been a great journey. Um, I started uh, at a, a driving range near near my home in Scotland in Stirling, then moved on to a private members club in Glasgow for four years, then moving down to the Grove in London, where which is a Trun golf course for anyone's familiar with the uh, Trun golf management. Uh, I was there for twelve years in various positions, up to and including director of golf, and then I was fortunate enough to get a telephone call. To wonder if I'd come over and discuss the redevelopment of Adair Manor and, and where it was going. And uh, five years later, here we are. I've been fortunate enough to play Adair in its previous incarnation and now uh, subsequently since the redo. Give it a kind of a, a bit of information. Like what does it take to get Adair Manor to the level that it's at on a daily basis? People are a huge part of the, the guest experience. Um, I mean, I think we've, we're lucky here that we've got a, a sizable team um, of professionals who really try and look after the guests from the minute they arrive and even pre-arrival to departure. So I think that gives the, the human touch and the, the personal element that a lot of our guests are looking for. Um, and then obviously um, a, a huge investment has went into the property to to get the golf course in the condition it has. It doesn't matter how many skilled hands you've got. And we, we have a lot of skilled hands, but the investment that needs into the machineries, into the building of the course, having a designer like Tom Fazio, all these things add up. We've got a great business background from there. We've got great team uh, of people, and then kind of wonderful guests that we uh, we don't we don't have thirty five thousand golfers like many golf courses. Um, we we do much less than that, so we can really put that kind of extra um, how should we say magic dust on on all our guests that walk past, you know. I was at the um the Pro-Am, the start of July, a phenomenal event. You were obviously very involved. The build-up to it, then the days of it, a lot of pressure, a lot of work, I'd imagine. But how rewarding was it to see it go so well and have so many top golfers there and so many fans coming through the, the gates? Yeah, I mean, uh, I think one of the words that we definitely used a lot was relief. Um, it, was, it was great fun. It was great fun in the lead-up to it, the excitement, which had obviously been which was going to be uh, a year, but then two years, and then three years with the delays with COVID, etc. There was a relief that it, that it happened from my standpoint, and then a huge relief in the way it was received by the golf media, by the television, with the amount of guests that come through and say, we've seen you on the Golf Channel, we've seen you on Sky Sports, mm. 
um, as I say. And then listening to the conversations that lots of the top pros had, not just to the cameras, but to each other, to myself, the, the, the feedback was absolutely fantastic. You know, we, we set out to achieve uh, a really successful charity golf event and all, uh, all media, all players, all guests seem to have received it in the, in the perfect manner. It must be satisfying to see eight of the top 10 golfers in the world gracing the fairways, a field that had never been assembled in Ireland. And, you know, they were extremely complimentary of the course. So it was definitely a job well done and a, a big pat in the back for all the team involved. For yourself to keep on attaining, I suppose, the, the accolades and awards that they're getting, how do you keep yourself and your team accountable? It's just kind of being a bit better every day or like, you know, is there just a, a real work ethic within the team to keep on striving? Yeah, we've got very driven individuals right from the very top of their business, their ownership to, um, as I say, right the way through the team. Yeah, there has to be a, an element of personal drive. I think that you, you, we, we can't buy that. You know, you have to have people who are really committed to doing the work to make sure that everything's prepped and ready. The golf carts are ready the next day and polished and every every detail is is so important but i think a lot of it comes from a pride in their work i think if you speak to someone who works with us here at their manor and certainly in the in the golf team there's there's a real pride in what we have what we achieve you get that from the greenkeepers as well if you see any of our social media posts with our greenkeepers and recently doing the renovations of the golf course you can see you, they're not even speaking. You can see the pride they've got in the, mm. the product that we're delivering. So um, I think that's that's hugely important. And you know what? Feedback is listened to. It's very important, I think, to have a team of people who are listening to the feedback on how we can improve our service, how we can improve our offering. And you know what? Sometimes sometimes we'll implement things. Sometimes we have to wait and see uh, if it's in regards to technology, et cetera, to make sure it's the right fit for us in our, our offering. But I think certainly listening to our team members is, is hugely important. The Ryder Cup obviously has been put back from 26 to 27. COVID-related had a knock-on effect on so many things. Are preparations actually starting now or is it too early or what's your plan going forward? Yeah, we've got a lot of sketches and uh, and different things for the way that uh, maybe grandstands will go in, uh, flow of traffic. Obviously, the, the, the Pro-Am was a huge testing ground for us. You know, 37,000 fans on day one on the, on the ground to see where see where spectators decide to congregate. You know, mm. we, knew the, we knew the fifth hole. If you've uh, played here, the fifth hole is a, a a basin green. So there's lots of view, natural viewing area around it. That was a huge place for spectators to congregate along with the 16th hole around the back mm. of the 16th. So it was great for us to kind of watch the the, the, the patterns that, that guests took. Um, obviously, there will be a lot of hospitality for the Ryder Cup, which is a, a completely different offering to what we did for the Pro-Am. So starting to work out where those buildings, where those constructions will go and any work that's required for them. I mean, one of the things we looked at um, with our golf course designers and owners is where the drivers, uh, where the pros were driving the golf ball to. So looking, are the bunkers in the right positions? Are the tees in the right positions? And again, yes, where will technology be in five years' time? It seems like there has been limitations in golf of the, the big the big gains aren't coming quite so sharp now. I think there's a mm. realisation we don't want to start making 8,500-yard golf courses. But to either, on one occasion, it's to, to look at maybe pushing the tee box up a little bit to bring mm. some bunkers into play. Um, so I think it's those are the kind of details that we're looking at just now. And we'll continue to m- monitor if you like, uh, all the way up to Ryder Cup to make sure that we have the golf course set in a, a challenging manner. I mean, eight under par for the, as you say, the, the, the field that we had, eight under par in a pro-am style format 
where we know we can make the golf course harder. That was that was a very acceptable score for us. I was mm-hmm. I was delighted with that number. Knowing we've got plenty in the tank if we wanted to take three or four shots off that number. Mm. That makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For, for sure, yeah. I suppose like any course of water, um, which obviously the River Meg runs through, like, you know, and moving tees and whatnot um, can bring the water into play and more holes and uh, it'll certainly make for a fascinating viewing in the Ryder Cup. Some people would say it's an American style golf course. John Ram was asked about that in Sky Sports. It's a long ways away. We don't know what the teams will be like, but would you think that it would favour one side of golf over the other? Um, I think it will depend where the where the players are playing at that point and, mm. and what side of the Atlantic or what part of the world. Um, I mean, you're looking at the fact of the the best golfers are the best golfers, um, and I. I think if you look at the fact of, yes, at uh, Le Golf National, the fairways were brought in, it was made narrow, the rough was made long. Yes, so you can see that the, the, the captain will tailor the golf course, if you like, to the players that are at his disposal. But you're looking at guys like John Ram, Rory McIlroy, boys who you know are going to be nailed in to play, Victor Hovland, mm. who you would still expect those three names will be on the team sheet in 27. They're all based in the States, mm. and they're they're doing very well. <laughs> you know, they're they're mm. at the top of the game there. So uh, I'm not kind of too worried about what who will suit. Um, obviously, the great thing for us is over the years since we've uh, managed to have some of the, the top European players over here, one of the big things is the convenience of that. There will be a familiarity with a lot of the top pros that will mm. have been here, you know. Um, obviously, some of the Americans have been here now with the Pro-Am, but uh, obviously for any ones that are in Europe, it's, it's on their doorstep, you know. If you could have a, a dream Ryder Cup finish from past Ryder Cups for maximum excitement and, and drama, what would be your dream scenario? Is it Rory needing to carry in the water in 18 to to birdie for the win? Or is it a repeat of, um, what was the guy who fell into the water on the 18th in the Irish <laughs> Open? But what, what's the, if Andy McMahon closes his eyes and says, this is this is going to be the one that they're going to be talking about in 50 years time, what would be your, your dream scenario? Is it a, and Medina come back from Europe instead of the States come back, or what you, would it be? You just you just stole that one off, mate. It would one hundred percent be a Medina. There's no question about that. Uh, I think the excitement. I think it's very. I, I, my my one wish, and obviously it didn't happen too much in France, is that the closing holes are a, a big part of the the matches. I think that that would be that would be my big wish, if you like, from a kind of neutral standpoint of Europe and America, and not just being. I'd love the games to go to fifteen risk or reward par four sixteen. Mm. You can try and play safe. You can make a mess of it. Mm. 18 is just, it's just one of the best match play holes you can have, you know, if we mm. go with any of the, my, my teammate here and the, any of the pros here, the, the amount of times you go up the last all square one down and someone makes a seven is just, it's just bizarre. Happened, it's, happened to me last year. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so I know all about it, yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, so I think, I think the big thing with me, if it, if it could go down those closing holes and you could have the chance of a, I mean, the Irish the Irish names are synonymous with some of the big moments in the Ryder Cup, from McGinley's putt to O'Connor's putt, and uh, Eamon Darcy. You know, if we could have uh, the next upcoming Irish lad to uh, to hold the winning putt in eighteenth green, that would that would maybe, be an example. Maybe Jan Murphy from Kinsale. He was my first guest on the podcast, and uh, when I asked him what what would the definition of a of a good career be for me, he said that he doesn't he doesn't think his career would be um, defined without a Ryder Cup appearance. So maybe in five years' time, John will be in the pomp of his career and will be playing on the, on the Ryder Cup. You touched briefly on, on your career so far. Obviously, you don't get to the position that you're in now without a lot of hard work, 
lot of sacrifice. What would you say has been your blueprint for success? I, I think, and I, I stress it to a lot of people, golf is such a small industry uh, in the big scheme of things. There's there's so, there's so few um, top positions in, in the UK and Ireland. Um, and even when you go to the States, I mean, I'm fortunate enough that we go to an event at Lake Nona in January every year, which I always put down as the most important date of my diary every year. Um, now, that is a, a game of golf, but it's a game of golf with... 80 of the top directors of golf and general managers uh, from five-star golf courses all over the world on one day. We play golf, we have a beer, we have dinner. It's But it's the relationships that you're building out of days like that. It's knowing that I can pick up the phone to the general manager of Medina. I can pick up the phone to the general manager of Lake Nona or uh, Queenwood, Wentworth. They're all there under one roof. I think so. The biggest thing for me is is the networking and making sure you've got the people so you're not scared to pick up the phone. You have that personal relationship with people where you're not just on the phone looking for something. They know they could phone you to to ask for advice as well. Um, so I know that in the in the golf setting just now, there's a, a, a startup gather, um, a networking community, which is trying to break down those barriers from the top level to um the entry level in the golf industry nearly and then on top of that i think when you're when you're going up the pecking order it's to make sure that we're we're networking in the right circles so that as i say you can you'll have the answer within someone will know someone basically within two or three calls you're speaking to the general manager of club car for example if we're needing new golf carts um so i definitely think that uh, to make sure that we're networking in a professional friendly manner so that uh, we're in a position to ask for that expert advice right from as high up the companies as we can go. Yeah, I think, I think building relationships with people, no matter what industry you're in, um, is key and being able to um, get on with people, I suppose, uh, ultimately, which um, I think that you have no problem in doing. Obviously, as a financial advisor, me personally, I meet people on a daily basis from all walks of life, all different occupations, and um, you're building financial plans for people. If you were giving advice to a young golf pro at the moment, how would you design a plan for them heading into a, a golf environment where there's live golf, the European tour is now the DP World Tour. You know, a lot of the Europeans are going to America, going to the Corn Ferry Tour. It just seems like it's an ever-evolving industry. What would be your three nuggets of advice that you've learned over your career? I, I do think there's a huge thing. Funnily enough, it was related to me very early. When you're teaching golf, it's that you're, you're backward chaining. You're taking someone from the putting green to chipping to wedges to irons to driving, and you're, you're learning it out. And I think that if you can do that the same way with where you want your career to be. So if you're wanting to be the director of golf at Adair Manor, how am I going to get to being that director of golf in Adair Manor? Rather than going the five-year plan and in year two, I want to do this, year three, I want to do this. It's actually starting at year five and working backwards. As I say, because I think the, the end the end day is, is having that goal written on the fridge door, for want of a better term. As I say, that you're looking at it every day and thinking, am I achieving those those goals? Um, with regards to the kind of financial element of it, listen, golf golf is in a it's in a huge boom just now after COVID. Um, there's no getting away from it. I mean, there's there's a lot of doom and gloom. There's a lot of rumors out there in the golf industry, but at present, I mean, golf courses everywhere have waiting lists for for membership. So I think it's just a case of making sure that you're you're setting your career out for where you want to end up. If you want to end up in five star resorts, then try and get in as an assistant pro to five star resorts and get experience. If you want to be a club pro, 
Ireland is some of the best club pros you could you could meet anywhere. Like they're they're designed for it, you know. They're mm. personable people, they're social people, so proud to represent their clubs, and their clubs should be very proud to have them. If you want to go down that neck of the woods, learn off these guys. Go get an assistant pro job with one of these um, established club club pros and learn from them. Again, if it's people who are starting up their own businesses, I'm fortunate enough again that a few a few lads have um, come through at the same time as me and started their own driving range businesses and, and so on and so forth. Just do your research. Make sure you have done your research before you take a punt. Golfers are very good at guessing the thing. Can, can we make that carry? And yeah, we can make it because I've made it twice before. So they have a slash at it. Work out your percentages. Work out your chances of success. Uh, and and play play to those odds, you know. Don't mm. don't go all don't go all on a whim. We Peter Laurie on as a guest as well, and uh, Peter Laurie's assumption is that every golfer is a, a a professional golfer is a gambler at heart because uh, every week you got to sing for your supper, and if you don't make the cut, you're basically losing money that week, and you're trying to calculate what would the cut be, what do I need to cover my expenses. So that's actually excellent advice, um, and very very succinct. It would be remiss of me not to ask you a financial question, seeing as I'm a financial advisor. What would be your own personal best and worst financial decision? From a personal standpoint, I think managing to uh, to, to to buy a house at a fairly young age would have been my best uh, my best financial decision. I think if uh, if I was put it in lay terms, personally, buying houses was a great decision, and buying cars was a terrible decision. <laughs> as uh, succinct as it can be. Um, as I say, from a personal from a personal setup, that would be it. I think, uh, and there was a great lesson to be learned from that. I think of that a bad financial decision of cars and being that kind of golfer, as you say, and maybe not doing the the due diligence. I think of being a nineteen year old assistant pro and buying a an MG sports car and buying a brand new one out the showroom because I got a year's free insurance, and you know what. <laughs> It'll cost me fifteen hundred, two thousand pounds at the time to insure the car, so I get a year's free with this new one. So I'll buy a new one. And you know, if you'd just taken a step back and looked at the fact you were paying about seven grand over the odds for <laughs> for the two grand insurance, but um, marketing marketing does it. Uh, you look, you look, you look good in the car, though. Yeah, yeah, I did for a little while. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I think again, that's, that's huge lessons to be learned there to take away the smoke in the mirrors and and actually work out what it costs you. You know, I think yeah. Geez, you only have to go from, uh, from again, not nowhere near the, the the expertise of yourselves, but you're you, you just trying to understand how much things actually cost you, uh, mm. with all the all the assessments of it, whether it be a mortgage or whether it be a car loan. So that would definitely be the the worst from a from a golf standpoint and a and a business standpoint. I think making sure you're using technology properly. I think there's there's a lot of times that people. Uh, myself included, have tried to introduce technology in different various posts since I, since I started out and trying to be a market leader by by going with technology that's maybe not quite ready for it yet. You spend two years of pain to try and uh, to achieve something where it might be a subscription or it might be new technology that comes out and you have to replace it straight away. So again, I think just making sure that if you're introducing technology with a, a big outlay that you're you're making sure you do your your research on it to make sure that is it actually going to have that immediate impact if you're doing a capex uh, investment in something that you have done that research not a case of oh i think it will make me will it make you money will it make a return on investment um opposed to the fact of i quite like it or i quite mm-hmm. i quite like to have shiny new buggies well you know what we've we've only made 50 grand in buggies in the last year 
and you want to spend 200 grand on new ones, um, I think that probably the, the, the research in that, I think, is, is huge. Technology, it moves so fast. You've just got to speak to the right expertise. We're very lucky here with a very strong IT department. Like I wouldn't, I wouldn't buy a mouse without asking them, is it the right mouse? Ask the expert in their field so that you're not you're not throwing money after money to to get it perfect. When I told uh, a few of my mates who are um, big into golf that I was interviewing for the podcast, they said the one question you have to ask them is, was he awestruck by anyone at the prime? <laughs> yeah, that's okay. I was wondering where it was going though, so we're okay with that one. <laughs> uh, yeah, no. Um, ah, listen, you you can't you can't fail to be by Tiger. You can't fail to be. I don't know what the man has an aura around him. It's it's bizarre, as I say, and there is butterflies going in your stomach. It's like being a seventeen year old boy going out on a date with a girl, and as I say, and you're b- b- beforehand, and when you see her walking towards you, you've got butterflies. It's literally like that. Um, there is something the man has an aura about him, as I say, and you know what? Incredibly pleasant. I was fortunate enough on the 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 Thursday after the event, he um, he made a call to say he was coming down to practice. Now there was only myself, uh, Mark, one of uh, one of our pros here. There's only two of us here, and we went down to the short game area. He dropped some balls down at the side of the green. He had his music playing um, in his pocket and his phone, and he had a little chat with us very civilised and then we let him practice and we stood and watched him practice for about an hour and 20 minutes and it felt like it was about 10 minutes <laughs> literally we're just watching every ball being chipped to a foot you're watching he he burned a line on the putting green I think any avid golfer now is familiar with Tiger's little putting drill that he does with the tee pegs and the gate and he basically stands on about an 8 foot putt and just hits the putt over and over and over again and he done it here to a tee peg. And he literally hit putt after putt from eight feet and hit the tee peg. And if he missed it, he was he was frustrated. And this could be 70 putts in a row, and he could miss one from eight feet to a tee peg, not to a hole. And he'd be frustrated with it. And I went down the next day, and the only marks were two burn marks where his feet were, and a burn mark where the ball was rolling towards the hole. There was a straight burn line where Tiger was hitting every single putt. And you know the other thing is that the rest of the the rest of the, the pros, I was probably more excited by the pros than the AMs, probably from a golfer standpoint, if I'm honest with you. But like Adam Scott was a gentleman. Rory is phenomenal. I mean, Rory just recognizes everyone when he's been here before and shakes their hand. And it was it was lovely to see these guys have a genuine look that they were happy to be here. Porig always remembers all the team, all the backdrop lads. Um, it was just lovely to see to see those guys um coming here, working for one a better term. But really enjoying themselves while they were here, but definitely in regards to who you're awestruck, Tiger is, uh, yeah, Tiger's the man for sure. When I went down on the Monday, uh, my wife and I went and uh, went down to the practice area, and uh, Tiger was just there, like you know, hitting a couple of drives and stuff. But like the crowd of people, and like just at once that he turned around, and just like tipped the cap, and it was like nearly the biggest roar of the week, like you know, um, yeah, he definitely has an R. There is, um, there is no two ways about it. And Andy, you've been extremely generous with your time. Um, I want to thank you so much uh, for coming on the podcast. I know you're a very busy man. Anyone who hasn't played it there, I can't uh, recommend it enough. And uh, hopefully we'll be in the Ryder Cup in five years time for a European win. I wish you all the best with your career going forward. And um, we'll chat to you soon. Thanks, John. Thank you all for listening. I really hope you enjoyed the episode. For more information about me, John O'Driscoll, 
and my day job as a financial advisor, please visit blueprintfp.ie. For more information on the podcast or to listen to other episodes, please visit the-blueprint.ie. Catch you all in the next episode. Take care.